Well, good morning. Welcome. This is a good-looking service. I can already tell this service is going to sing really well. Before, before we do, let's stand together and read from God's Word that will call us to worship from 1 Corinthians 15. Say this with me. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Yesterday we were dead, but today because he lives, we live. And because he lives, we sing. So let's join our voices, sing together. Jesus is mine, 
I'm going to say the Lord is risen, and you say he's risen indeed. The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. I think we can do better than that. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Be seated and welcome. Welcome to this Easter Sunday gathering of Desert Springs Church. My name is Chase Jacobs. I'm the Minister of Theological Training here at DSC. To my right, this is Drew Hodge. He is our Pastor of Music. And we as a church just want to welcome you. Uh, if you are here in this room or if you are in one of our overflow rooms this morning or if you're watching online, welcome. Thank you for taking the time to spend with us together considering these things. And if you're here and, and you're not a Christian, let me say an especial welcome to you. You are welcome here. We're so glad that you're here. We're so glad that you're getting to hear about this. 
which is the most important thing that we believe, that Jesus is risen from the dead. He's risen indeed. That's right. This is all of our hope. This is everything, all of our expectations, all of our comfort, our very lives are tied up in this, that he's risen indeed. This isn't a metaphor for us. This isn't some myth. This is reality. This is true. Christ is risen from the dead. And because of that, we have everything that we need. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, if this is new for you or, or you don't believe that yet, let me say we were all of us not Christians at some point and we have come to believe this. And I would encourage you while you're here, I don't know why you're here or who brought you, but, but you're here for a reason. Consider these things and consider whether they might be true. What this morning is gonna look like is we're gonna sing a lot of songs. We're gonna hear some scriptures read and then our preaching pastor, Pastor Ryan Kelly, he's gonna stand up and he's gonna open up to us a passage from the book of First Peter that was written by the Apostle Peter who was a man who saw Jesus hanging on the cross, saw Jesus die, laid in the tomb, and then he saw Jesus risen. And he's gonna tell us about that and, and Ryan's gonna lead us in meditating on that. And, and so I would encourage you just to think about these things and, and ask yourself if that might, like it did for Peter, change everything in your life to know that Jesus is risen from the dead. If you've got questions about what we talk about after this service, ask them. Ask the person that you came with or there's gonna people, be people up here right up front after the end of the service. We would love to meet you. We'd love to know how we can help you. We'd know, love to know how we can tell you more about Jesus and his resurrection. And for those of you that are Christians that you're visiting here, you are so welcome to and we're so glad that you're here. And let me just say that if you are not a regular attender of a church, if you don't belong to a church, I might encourage you that way. It's so right that we celebrate Easter as a special Sunday to come out and get all dressed up and think about the resurrection. But, but for Christians, really, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday, we, we need to be reminded of this truth that Jesus is risen from the dead because that is our only hope in this crazy world. So you need to hear that good news more than once a year, okay? So I would encourage you, maybe even think about what it would look like to attend this church regularly, to belong here at Desert Springs. But it doesn't have to be Desert Springs. We just want you to be in a place where you're gonna hear this gospel of the resurrection. So we would love to answer questions for you about how you can get connected and belong with a church in this area or wherever you're from. We would love to help you know what that looks like. So if, if you wanna talk to us, come up, or you can also email us, info at dscabq.com, and we'd be happy to, uh, to help you in whatever ways that we can. So as I said, we've got a lot to consider this morning. We've got a lot to celebrate this morning. So let's pray and ask God for his help as we continue to worship. Oh God, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for not only Christ's death on the cross for our sins, but also the fact that he was raised to everlasting life and we with him, all of us who have believed. So Lord, I pray that you would help those of us who believe to believe even more, to believe even more deeply that Christ is risen from the dead and that is all that we need. That is all of our hope in life and in death. And if anyone in here doesn't believe that yet, Lord, would you open up their ears and their hearts to receive this amazing good news and change everything for them like you have for us. And we ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, let us stand and continue to sing out this wonderful truth. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness. 
darkness watch and pray Find in me thine all in all Jesus paid it all All to him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain He washed it white as snow Matthew 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, 
see the place where he lay. He is risen indeed. Let us sing as those that believe it. Let no one lost in sin remain inside the light of inward shame, but fix our eyes upon the cross and run to Him who showed great love and bled. Oh 
What is our home in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence? That our souls to Him belong. Who holds our days within His hand? What comes apart? from his command and what will keep us to the end the love of Christ in which we stand sing hallelujah and oh sing hallelujah our hope springs eternal oh sing What truth can calm the troubled soul? God is good, God is good. Where is His grace and goodness known? In our great Redeemer's blood, who holds our faith when fears arise, who stands above the stormy tribe. Sends the waves that bring us nigh unto the shore, the rock of life. so that Christ is our, our hope in life and death. May it 
ever be so. May it be more so today than it was yesterday, and may it increasingly be so. By your grace, Lord, and through your word, we pray you do this. As we open the pages of your word and gaze intently on it, we pray for your help, Lord. May we have Christ again today as a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. We pray in his name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, before we get to God's word, let me get us started by having you think about yesterday, your Saturday. What did you do? Was it a pretty typical Saturday for you? Mine was, pretty typical. I did some sermon prep in the morning, some errands in the afternoon, some house tasks in the evening, and went to bed pretty early. That's a typical Saturday for me. And I suspect that most of us had a typical Saturday yesterday, even though it is Easter weekend. And I'm not saying we should have had something other than a typical Saturday. But think of what Saturday was like for Jesus' first followers on that Saturday between the crucifixion and the resurrection. Can you imagine it? Have you taken time to just imagine what they were feeling, what they were doing, what was happening? Oh, it was anything but typical for them. By the end of the day on Friday... Their friend and Messiah was brutally murdered, buried in a tomb with a large stone put in front of it. Peter had denied his Lord three times. As for Saturday, the only thing that the gospel accounts record of that day is that Pilate posted soldiers at the tomb of Jesus to ensure that no one would get in or out. It's in Matthew 27 if you want to read that later. Other than that, not another word is given to us about that Saturday. It's as if we're to read between the lines a bit that the silence was deafening on that Saturday, that everything stood still, that the disciples were practically motionless and numb and dumbfounded. Even when Jesus comes to the 11 apostles late in the day on Sunday, he finds them afraid, behind locked doors for fear of the authorities. And that's when, at least in Luke's account, in Luke 24, that he explains to them, thus it was written that the Christ should suffer and rise on the third day, and that Repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to all nations. It was only then that the penny really dropped for them, that it all clicked, that all the puzzle pieces fell into place. They needed not only the reality of the death and resurrection and the visible evidence of his resurrection, they needed also a word from Jesus that this was all according to plan. This was all according to the promises of the Old Testament. And they also needed to hear the reason for the death and resurrection, for the forgiveness of sins. It had purpose. There was a reason indeed. Now back to that fateful Saturday, that motionless, mysterious Saturday. You know, from one angle, 
We Christians today can and should relate somewhat to those disciples on that Saturday. We call it Holy Saturday sometimes. Even today, when God seems quiet, still, or absent, we recall that Holy Saturday, and we remember that when things seem bleakest, darkest, most defeated, God hasn't disappeared. God is not MIA. God isn't passive. He's often working behind the scenes. When we don't see, when we don't think he's up to something, he's often on the move and about to act and about to do his finest work yet. That's often how he works. And the weekend of the death, burial, and resurrection, that's a perfect example for when we feel God is quiet or all too still. And yet from another angle, we don't fully relate to those disciples on that mysterious Saturday. No, what amazing privilege we have to live on this side of those events and the explanation of those events from Jesus himself. I think it was George W. Bush who, when asked for an assessment of his presidency after it was just done, he refused to give an assessment and said no one should give an assessment, at least for a number of years. He said in the decades to come, historians will start to form a consensus or two on his presidency, and that'll be more accurate. you got to see how these things shake out. Hindsight is twenty-twenty, as they say. Well, thankfully, with Jesus... It didn't take decades and decades for it all to shake out and for us to understand what it was all about. But it did take a weekend. And it was a number of years after that fateful weekend when Jesus' closest followers began writing down for Christians explanation, instruction, and application about how to live in light of the death and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel accounts describe mostly what happened, give a little bit of information about why it happened, like the forgiveness of sins, but then we need more than that. In the gospel, I'm sorry, the epistles, these letters written by Peter and Paul and others, they come a little bit later and they, they give us more information. They're not more scripture than other parts of the Bible. They're not more inspired than other parts. But we believe in something called progressive revelation as Christians. Things get clearer as it goes along. And what we find in the epistles is something pretty special and power-packed. In 1 Peter 1, verses 10 to 12, Peter told us that we are privileged people to live in the age and era in which we do. He said, concerning this salvation you've come to believe, the prophets of the Old Testament, they were searching and inquiring carefully about this Messiah that they were talking about. They knew they were talking about sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow, but they weren't sure about the person and the time. They knew, Peter says, that they were serving not themselves, but you, you. 
things which have been announced to you into which angels have longed to look. Our special privilege to stand where we do in human history is something that we get from Peter in the Bible. But it's actually a little later in 1 Peter 1 that I want to direct the rest of our attention this morning. If you were with us for our Good Friday service, you already know what we started there. We looked at a couple of verses, verses 18 and 19 on Good Friday, and then today we'll focus on verses 20 and 21 of 1 Peter 1. Let me read all four verses for us. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Well, holding hands with the verses on Good Friday, uh, with those for this morning, let's notice how the death and resurrection go together. They go together by necessity. They go together logically. They went together historically. As Chase said, beginning uh, in our Good Friday service a couple days ago, he said, there could be no resurrection without first a crucifixion. And I saw on Mr. T's Twitter account yesterday that he said basically the same thing. Yes, Mr. T, that Mr. T. He said, quote, Jesus died for our sins as our substitute. There had to be a crucifixion in order to be a resurrection. Thank you, Jesus. Hashtag Friday vibes. Hashtag Good Friday. And that was really hard to say without trying to imitate Mr. T. But I held back. You see, the resurrection of Jesus without first his death is not only impossible, it would be meaningless. There'd be no ransom. There'd be no payment for sin. We'd still be guilty. And the death of Christ without the resurrection to follow, well, that would be a hopeless situation. Jesus would be just like any other would-be Messiah of those days who was popular for a while, but then died. He'd be like any king of any ages. He had a little bit of a following, but at the end he died and his body goes to dust. Well, let's get into the nitty-gritty of our passage. Let me suggest three P words that will help hang our thoughts on these two verses, verse 20 and 21. The first P is the plan. The plan. Notice verse 20. He, Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world. That's a plan. Before creation, the Father knew the Son. Not knew of him. They were Father and Son. They knew each other perfectly, intimately, in perfect harmony. In fact, in the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there was harmony and agreement and a plan, a plan to save and redeem a fallen and rebellious world. That plan was settled before the foundation of the world, before creation, and then obviously also before there was a fall, before there was sin 
in this world. That means for us that this all-knowing, all-wise, perfect God, he's not this world's best responder to bad things. He's not the best reactionary kind of being. And that's about as best as we could hope for, for a, a good leader in the civic realm, a good American president or mayor or governor. For them, COVID comes along and we need a, a wise response. We need good leadership. We may disagree on what good leadership looks like in the COVID era and what restrictions are useful or too far, but we can probably all agree that any good leadership in a situation of crisis is by nature a response. It's reactionary. We don't expect our civic leaders to be omniscient, all-wise, and all-powerful, and completely effective. But with our God, that's exactly what we have. His plan was all wrapped up in the divine mind from beginning to end, from the beginning. God has plans then and purposes for the bad stuff. God has plans and purposes for a fallen, broken world that would be redeemed by his son. God allowed sin and hurt and sadness and death and curse to enter this world that he might rescue humanity from it all. And why? Why did he do it that way? Why didn't God choose to make a, a good world and keep it good and to keep it from evil and to keep it from harm? Our God could have done that but he didn't. Why? Well, dare I say it's because the God of the Bible loves a good drama. Our God is a God of drama. He's a God of story. And that's probably, like, probably why we like drama. That's probably why we know story. No one thinks it's a good story. It was good at the beginning. It was good in the middle. And then guess what? At the end, it was good. The end. That's a really bad story. Our God knows that. Our God has put it within us to know what good story is. And our God, well, his story is his workings on display. Our God is intent to show us the manifold riches of his grace. He's intent to show himself to us from many angles. And that's why there's a fallen world that he redeems in his son. It's to the praise of the glory of his grace, a phrase found three times in Ephesians 1. This saving plan of God is what? It's to the praise of the glory of his grace. That's why he did it. In this grand plan of God, at some point, the Son, God himself, was made manifest. Do you see that language in verse 20? Made manifest. He appeared. This is Christmas. This is the incarnation. The God who was previously invisible, apart from occasional glimpses of his glory, at one point he showed up. He took on flesh and dwelt among us. As the Nicene Creed puts it, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made human. He was made human 
in part for the reason that he had to die. And he had to die as a substitute in our place. So he had to be a fitting representative of those for whom he was taking their punishment. Isn't that what we saw in verse 18 and 19 at Good Friday? Knowing you were ransomed by his precious blood, he died in our place. In my place condemned he stood. Hallelujah. What a savior. I also reference chapter 3 and verse 18 on Good Friday. I'll read it again. Christ suffered once for sins, not his own sins, our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. He had to be a fitting representative. And so he was manifest. And manifest, it says here, in the last time. The last time. In the days of Jesus when he walked this earth, those were the last times. Well, yeah, according to Peter, in a sense, that's true. Because only one other chapter or two in God's plan is still to unfold, even at this point, 2,000 years almost after Jesus walked this earth. Now, I don't know how long until God will once again turn the page and enter a new chapter of his plan. But I know he's turned the page and had chapters before, many times before, and a most significant, if not the most significant time, was with the coming of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. That was an event that was being waited for and was being watched for for millennia before. In that sense, Christ was manifest in these last times. We're in the last days. God is almost done with his story. And all of this, Peter says, is for the sake of you, verse 20. For the sake of you. That's personal. If you're a Christian, that you there is personal. You can put your name there. For the sake of Ed. For the sake of Ryan. For the sake of Michelle. For your sake, all of this, this astounding, glorious, eternal plan and the manifestation of the Son of God in these last times, all of this for the sake of you. Do you know that old southern gospel song? When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Oh, that's sweet. And it's true, it has to be true. He wasn't just dying for some vague sea of humanity, but people. Names written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. To put it in mere human terms, think of someone really important that you don't know, but you, you wish you did. Someone you really respect. And, and imagine you do know them, and they know you. And they think about you. And, and, and they plan things for you and with you. Who, who, who is it? 
someone from the Beatles, maybe, or a, a ball player of some sort. Imagine that they, that they make plans for you and they go to great lengths to do something very special and extravagant for you. How special, but how much more special when the triune God of eternity has you, little old you, in mind when he did all this. That's the plan. The second P is the person. And here the plan really continues as the specifics of that plan begin for Peter to center on the person and work of Jesus. If you're taking notes, you might want to add that. The person and the work of Jesus. He was made manifest. That's part of his person and work. Verse 20. Verse 21. Who through him you are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. Raised him from the dead and gave him glory. I asked in our Good Friday service, how do we know that the ransom has been paid and the payment was sufficient? How do we know that the sacrifice was enough, that it worked, that it was acceptable before the high court of heaven? How do we know that Jesus' blood can still wash away sin and there's enough to invite more and more in all the time? Well, the resurrection is one answer to that. We know all that because he was raised. He was vindicated in his resurrection. There's proof then. That cross, the, the cross of Christ was effective and that blood, that salvation is available and it's sufficient for all. The resurrection also proves that Jesus has in principle conquered death. I say in principle because we still die. Even Christians still die. But Jesus has dealt a death blow to death in his death and resurrection. He went through death and he came out of it. He's the first of his kind to do that. And all of his followers one day will follow him in that and receive glorified bodies. His resurrection means death is defeated. Death no longer has sting for those who believe. Did you see that in verse 21? It's through him you are believers in God. I think in the book of Acts, that's the most common description or label for Christians. They are believers. That word Christian actually didn't come along until later. I think it's Acts 11 where they were first called Christians. And at first by derision, their enemies said, oh, Christians, like little Christ people. And Christians said, we kind of like that. That's right. Jesus said, be like him. Little Christians, little Christs will take that. But, but again, believer is the more common label for Christians in the book of Acts. And how telling that word is, believers. It's what they believe. That's who they are. That's what they do. They believe. Believing in Jesus is what is most essential to following him. It is what is most fundamental and necessary to following him. It's what comes first, and it's not what comes first and then is left alone, it's but what we, we keep doing. It's who we are. We just keep trusting him. We keep believing that his death and resurrection was sufficient for our past and present and future guilt. 
This is the very nature of the gospel, to believe. This is the very nature of our message to the world, to believe. We invite them to join us in becoming believers. Not gullible believers who just believe in anything and everything, who are just looking to latch on to things to believe in, conspiracy theories or what have you. I think with the TV show, the old TV show, The X-Files, Belief was a big thing, right? Believe. I want to believe. Well, some might have a t-shirt with Sasquatch on it, and underneath it says, I believe. Well, Christians are not to be gullible believers looking for things to believe in. We have historical evidence for the life and death and resurrection of Jesus we have first-hand accounts in the Bible written down by first-hand eyewitnesses who saw him. We have the accounts of people like Peter. Peter, who didn't at first believe in the resurrection when he was merely told that it was coming by Jesus. He didn't get it. He would have admitted to you. If you'd seen him later on, oh, no, no, we didn't get it. We thought it was a metaphor. We thought it represented something else. We thought surely the death won't happen. He didn't get it until he saw, and he got it. And the same would go for Paul. On Sunday mornings, apart from Easter Sunday, we've been in the book of Galatians as a church, written by Paul, where he gives the story of his conversion to Christ and on this, even secular, non-religious, ancient historians, they all agree. There was this guy named Saul or Paul who at one point was a, a premier persecutor of Christians and then became the premier preacher of Christ. How do you account for that? He doesn't do that. He doesn't make that shift if it's merely a myth or a metaphor no, he says, I saw him on the road to Damascus, and things will never be the same. Through him, you are believers in God. Are you? Because that word belief is pretty fuzzy sometimes for some of us. It seems abstract. It seems like, okay, how do you do that? Try real hard to believe? Let me help you with four A words that describe this word believe. This is what it means to truly believe and become a Christian. First, there's assent. You have to believe that this stuff is true. You have to believe that Jesus really did live and die and was raised for our sins. Secondly, you have to affirm it. You have to affirm that it's true for you. It's not just historically true. It's not just possible. It's true for you. It's something for you. It applies to you. Third, you need to abandon. Abandon all other alternatives. The nature of belief in Christ is soul belief in Christ. S-O-L-E. Christ alone through faith alone. You can't come to Christ with something else in your back pocket that you'll pull out and try out if this Jesus thing sort of grows cold or gets bored. And then a fourth A is asking God for it. That's part of belief and faith is asking God for it, asking God to give it. 
Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Or as one poor sinner said in Luke 19, he pounded on his chest and he said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. That's asking God for it. All that is part of belief. Believe on this divine human person who died and was raised so that you would believe. Believe that this perfect divine plan of salvation was for you. And if you're not there yet, perhaps this third P will help. The purpose of it. The purpose, it's in the last line of verse 21, so that your faith and hope are in God. I've already explained what faith is. It's a synonym for belief. It's what we do as Christians. It's how we come in. But now we have this word hope. So that your faith and hope are in God. What is this hope? Well, it's not hope like we tend to use the word hope these days in American vernacular. We say, I hope so. I hope that's going to happen. If I ask my friend Jay Rush if the Dodgers are going to win the World Series again, he'll probably say, I hope so. He's optimistic. He wants it to happen. It's possible. But he doesn't know. And they probably won't. Right? It's just the way it is. But hope in the Bible is often, it's certain. It's not wishful thinking. It's rock solid. You get a glimpse of it in an earlier reference in 1 Peter. Look at verse 3 of chapter 1. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, born anew, born into a, a new life, a new realm, to a living hope, a lasting hope, a hope that's alive through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then get this in verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's hope. That's certain. So hope is a mixture of faith and confidence and joy and anticipation. Hope is a, a present thought and feeling that's rooted in past realities and promises and looks ahead to future accomplishments and future things to come, affecting my present state right now in this moment. The purpose to all of this, the plan of God, the person of Christ, his manifestation, his ransom and resurrection, the purpose of it all is that you would believe and that your faith and hope would reside in God, in the unchanging, covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. Hope in God. Don't you want that? If you're not yet a Christian, I ask you what, are you, what are you putting your hope in these days? Where is your faith? I mean, are you putting your hope in the economy staying pretty solid? 
You're putting your hope in the, the latest stimulus package or the next one if there is one. You're putting your hope in the new president or hoping that the old one comes back. Are you hoping and trusting in a good retirement package, a steady job, hoping for more business opportunity in years ahead, hoping that kids will turn out, hoping that grandkids one day will make life better? Well, all those things are probably good things to hope in, but, but they're, not, they're not rock solid. You know that. They're not certain. They're things we hope for. They are not hope like the Bible offers us in God, in Christ. If you haven't yet come to believe, I wonder, what's it going to take? I prayed this morning that some who would come to our services this morning who don't yet see their need for hope in God, I prayed that God, in his mercy and kindness to you, would shake some of the things that you're holding on to, some of the things that you want to be secure. I prayed that God would, would, would let those feel loose and shaky and uncertain to you so that you would have nowhere else to grab but to, to look to him and have faith and hope in God, in his son, in his ransom and his resurrection. If you're not there yet, I said, what's it going to take? What, what, what can it take? What, what can we do? How can we help? Chase already alluded to this at the beginning of our service. But we'd encourage you, if you don't have a church home, to, to come back. If you show up every now and then, a Christmas and an Easter service, we're so glad that you do that. And you're welcome to come for every Christmas and Easter here on out. But we do want you to know we meet here every Sunday and if you're trying to gain some traction in understanding and apprehending this Jesus thing, it might help to be around Christians more. It might help to hear this stuff more than a, a couple times a year. If you don't have a Bible, I'd love to give you a Bible after the service today and, and show you some parts that might be helpful for you to start reading. I could even show you on your phone where to, to get a Bible app and, and how to start reading there. Or perhaps you just say, no, today's it. That's it. I'm done. I'm done fighting. I've heard enough. Count me among those who are believers in Christ. I want in. I want hope in God that is steady. Oh, we'd love to know about that if you're there this morning. Christian, in this passage, we have hope that fits that Holy Saturday experience somewhat, that experience that I began talking about. We remember that when things seem their bleakest and darkest and most defeated, that God hasn't disappeared. He is not absent and he is not inactive. He is often on the move when he seems silent and still. That's the way our God works. And the Saturday before the resurrection is proof of that, powerful proof of that. And yet, in our passage, we have a hope that far exceeds 
that holy Saturday experience. Because brothers and sisters, it is no longer Saturday. Sunday has come. It is Sunday. There's a sense in which for the Christian, every day is Sunday. Every day now is in light of his resurrection. That day changed everything. Someday I'd love to have a calendar in my office that on the days it just says Sunday, 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 Sunday. And I promise to not come in here and preach every day. And I promise not to make appointments on my calendar that only says Sunday, because that would be useless, but it would be helpful for me to just see. He's risen. He is risen indeed. He's risen today. He'll be risen tomorrow. He'll be risen forever. It's done. It's settled. That's hope. I wonder what it would look like for us to live in light of that hope more than we do. What would it look like for you specifically to live in light of the resurrection better and more fully than you currently do? I know for me it means there's some things I should let go of and there's some other things I should pick up. There are some things I should shoo away and there are some other things I should grab hold and strengthen. Only you know what it would mean to live in light of the resurrection tomorrow and the next day and the next week and the next year more than you have been in this last year. So let me pray for you now that God, by his spirit, would speak to us individually and personally about things like that. Lord, we pray for your work in our lives ongoingly. You who started this will finish it. That's part of our great hope. So, Lord, finish it. For those for whom in this room you've started it, finish it. Progress it. Help us, even now, to think of specific ways in which we might more carefully and specifically and more thoroughly and more solidly live in light of this fixed and living hope that we have in Christ in his death and resurrection. Help us. And we pray for those who are with us who haven't yet apprehended that. Lord, perhaps today you would give them eyes to see and ears to hear, and today would be a day of salvation. And they would join us in believing and join us even in these next couple songs of singing and praising you for what you've done. May it be so, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let us stand to respond and sing out our hope. is finished the end
rest alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love what depths of peace when fears are stilled when striving cease my comforter my all in all here in the love of christ i stand in christ alone who took on flesh fullness of god in helpless babe this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save that is true of you. I pray, as I said on Good Friday, that you can sing that and say that in first person and you know that it's true of you and true for you. If not, again we say, how can we help? Let us know. You can email us if you're tuning in online, info at dscabq.com. Email us with questions or prayer requests, anything you'd like to share with us. Let us know where you are in your walk with the Lord if we don't yet know you. 
And for those of you in this room, we'd love to visit with you afterwards. Chase mentioned we'll have people up front after who are here to greet you, meet you if you're new, uh, pray with you if you have a need, or, or especially to talk to you about Jesus some more if you're still um, looking for him and looking to apprehend him by faith. Let us know how we can help. Well, I close with this blessing from Romans 15 that is full of hope and offers even more hope. Paul wrote, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen. You're dismissed. Have a blessed Resurrection Sunday.